what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange on The Mesh Podcast Network, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, it's the fake news edition of the Entrepreneur Exchange as we'll explore a recent article talking about the myths of entrepreneurship. Are we purveyors of fake news or are we your small business sages? It's up to you to decide. Today's guest is Tanya Wade with the Carolina Textile District, an organization in Conover, North Carolina, which connects new and small apparel businesses with domestic manufacturers to help with their production. We'll learn how the Carolina Textile District helps startups, and we'll do our best to answer the question, is it better to cut or to sew? And finally, as usual, we'll end up with our Small Business of the Month feature, where we'll highlight some small businesses that you should be checking out. Greetings. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm your co-host. I'm director of the Small Business Center at the Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is dean of the School of Business, Industry, and Technology at Catawba Valley Community College. Gary, how are you doing today? Jeff, I'm doing great. You seem fired up. Is it because it's summer? I, I like the summer. You know, I'm, it's, a, it's a beautiful Friday afternoon in western North Carolina. We're uh, dressed more casual than we typically are. But you'd you know, be impressed. Yeah, even you know, for our listeners out there, Gary is sort of a tie kind of guy, and not today. You know, he's golf shirt Gary today. So uh, uh, good to see that you're comfortable. I appreciate and, it. And Gary will be leaving next week to attend the Skills USA national competition in Louisville, Kentucky. So we're uh, looking forward to it. And I also wondered since I was going to be gone for a week. That is why you. So pumped up and excited about uh, me not being here for a week. Well, you know, I will I will hold the fort down and, uh, while you are gone to make sure that uh, you know the trains run on time and, and everything's good. And you know, and I suspect I can do it in three hours a day. So I might not be in in the afternoons, okay, but so don't when worry. Should I call? You know, between ten and twelve would be good. Okay, that's so. good. So other than that, we're good. Gary, I, you know, we, we like to talk about an article or two uh, when, we, when we start the Entrepreneur Exchange. And I came across an article written by Rhonda Abrams, who's the author of The Six-Week Startup, talking about some of the persistent myths about entrepreneurship. And it was published uh, earlier this month, I believe in the USA Today. And uh, sort of wanted to get your take on them and figure out what we agree with and what we disagree with. And uh, she talks about several myths. And first one being people are either born entrepreneurs or they're not. And she goes on to say that uh, you can learn some entrepreneurial skills, I guess, as an educator. Would you agree with her on that? I would agree with her. But I do think you have to have a certain personality and mindset to go out and try to start your own business because there are lots of challenges and lots of folks aren't necessarily as comfortable. They may be very successful in business, but they may not necessarily be as excited about having all the the risk put on their shoulders. Next myth, 50% of businesses fail in the first few years. You think that one's true or false? Yes, I would say that's true. Or that they stop the process of starting that business and and you know she i think she makes this a myth through a technicality in that she says they don't actually fail but people find other things to do 
and yeah, and it, might might evolve into other things. Path and something else comes up, and so they follow a different path. So, I agree with that. So a lot of owners change businesses or get jobs, uh, uh, but she also says that nearly 80% of businesses started in 2014 were still in business the following year. About half of all businesses are still in business five years later, you know, which to me is maybe 50% aren't. But anyway, uh, and a third of all establishments will be in business after 10 years. So, you know, you're, you know it's, it's, there are certainly no guarantees, but it's not, nece- not necessarily a failure. And I was talking to a couple people this week. It also depends how the economy is doing. Because uh, there's a couple of people that started businesses in 2005, 2006, had some challenges when the, the deep recession hit us. And I need to talk closer. I apologize. Yeah, you need to talk. There's allergies. In allergies. Okay. You're, you're so okay. I'll work hard on that. But I think people that had some very successful uh, businesses struggled during the, the deep recession. And some ideas that might have been successful now, like I was thinking about that statistic from 2014 on, the economy's been growing. And so I think that helps people with starting a new business that they might struggle even with a good idea in a recession. Is that more than I needed to talk about? Well, I think you're right about that. So so timing and industry play a lot into the success. So uh, another myth, if you build it, they will come. That's a pretty good myth. That's a pretty good myth. I I think that one's been debunked. I'm not even sure we should call that a myth. I think that's just bad information. Exactly. That's fake fake news. Yeah, find out what the problem is and then – come up with a solution and then sell that as opposed to come up with what you think is a great idea and try to sell it. And, and, and talk to your customers. Yes, you know, like, you know, don't, don't just assume because uh, your, your husband or wife likes your meatloaf that the rest of the world is going to do it yes. and you should start a meatloaf company. Exactly. So my, my meatloaf company uh, did not do well. I was going to say, <laughs> does, is that personal? That... I, I, I really tried to block it out of my mind. <laughs> okay. so. uh, myth, entrepreneurs must work 24-7. Well, I think the rest of us work 24 hours, so I think it's not a myth. Okay. Well, yes. uh, you know, it, it does say that every now and then you should take some time yes, off. Yes, I understand that. We were so, just talking about my next vacation in 2025. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to help you plan that vacation. You know, we, 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 had, we had a travel planner uh, with us not that long I ago. Know. So, you know, we've got the resources and that can help you with that. I got for about a half hour. All right. So Then you told me I had more projects to do while you were away. Next myth, the first company to market wins. No. Sometimes. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes. And it's always good if you've got a great product and a great plan. If you can get there first, that does give you the advantage, but it isn't a sure thing. I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, Myth, you can write off everything as a tax deduction. Well, as an accountant, by trade, that's true. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> a, good accountant. <laughs> a, really, a good accountant. A really good accountant might be able to do that. That's right. Very creative accountant. Technically, probably not so much, no, though. Not so much. We, that's certainly one thing we need to make sure that folks know that they can't do that. Okay. Myth. As long as you make sales, as long as you make sales. I don't, I don't know if that's a way to say it. As long as you can make sales, you're okay. No. I, uh, cash is still say, king, right? Cash is king, which we've got to make sure that we're going to be selling 
market for a little bit more than it costs. <laughs> <laughs> and and timing is important too, and that uh, you can have sales, but if you're not collecting on said sales, you can still go out of business pretty quickly. Yes, and actually, I was talking to a client this week about this. Look at all the sales we have, but they hadn't paid them in three months, and it was a startup. And I said that's a challenge because they're not a customer until they pay. Uh, last like myth. That. Last myth. That's what I'm, I'm with you on that. Last myth. You don't need no stinking business plans. <laughs> True or false? False. Yeah. Does it need to be super, super detailed to get started? No. But you do need to have some basic concepts and goals and how you're going to uh, go about your business and trying to grow it. I, I'm, I'm with you on that, and I would uh, just say I, I, sometimes I, I think the connotation of a business plan can be somewhat overwhelming to people. And so I, I agree. I, th- I think you need a plan. It does not necessarily, you know, let's, let's, let's just say that. You need yes. to do, you need to do business planning. To you need a plan. Goals and come up with ways that you're going to be able to, to run your business effectively. But it doesn't have to be a 50-page business plan to get started. Well, anyway, we we hope we have debunked some of the myths of entrepreneurship, Um, and I I, I think actually the author, um, Ms. Abrams, debunked them, and and we just got to weigh in on them, but uh, just some food for for thought there. Uh, If you you, uh, look up Rhonda Abrams, you'll find her book, Six-Week Startup, and and she does a lot of good things with entrepreneurship, so so give it a look, give it a read, and, and we'll go from there. But let's welcome our guest for this month. Uh, we have with us uh, Tanya Wade, who is the project coordinator for the Carolina Textile District in nearby Conover, North Carolina. Tanya, welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Thank Great you to see for you. having me. It's a pleasure to see both of you gentlemen again. That's right. And Tanya is one of the very few people who is an actual repeat guest on the Entrepreneur Exchange. You know, she's so special. She's very special. And the, but the Carolina Textile District is special and doing some really good work. So we, we thought it would be great to bring uh, Tanya back and, and have her join us here today. So thanks for being here, Tanya. Well, thank you both. And Gary, I'm going to need you to repeat that special part so I can play it back for my husband later. I would be glad to do that. Well, Tanya, tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about what what is the Carolina Textile District and and uh, what does the the district actually do? So, the Carolina Textile District was actually founded back in early 2013, and we help cultivate relationships with domestic manufacturers to get those guys to work together as well as the clients. We help the client side and basically do matchmaking. So it's not technically project management, but we look at what a client's needs are as far as support needs, and we look for the manufacturer that can feel that support need or help that client. And and when you say clients, why don't you give us just a little idea of the type of client that would might come to you and you know it sounds like you're the tender of uh of uh manufacturing here so so when you say client uh what what type of individual or company might come to you looking for your matchmaking services so we actually work with everybody from a startup who has no experience they have an idea and then we have also companies that are entrepreneurs that have been in the industry a little bit but maybe they don't have as much experience as a, a company that's already been producing in the U.S., but we work with everybody, again, from a startup 
two companies that are already producing in the U.S. that have been around for 40-plus years, and they're just looking for some additional cut and sew. And, and, and when you say industry, are there, you're primarily or, or totally textile, apparel? I mean, are there certain you – know, how would you characterize the industries in which the, you, you guys work? So the Carolina Textile District focuses only on the cut and sew side. So if someone needs any type of product from bags to outdoor gear to apparel um, that has to be cut and sewn, that's where the district focuses. But we've also got the Manufacturing Solutions Center where my office is located. Those guys handle the hosiery side and then non-textile related products. So you mentioned bags and things. What are, what are some other products that come through the, the textile district that you've had a chance to do some work with? It's We've had some really crazy stuff come through. Um, we've got one company that does chicken diapers. Um, we've got... Chicken diapers? Chicken diapers. Um, you can't go past that. Yeah, well, I don't know. So, <laughs> that is a company that apparently some people want to keep their chickens in their home so that they don't make a mess. There's the little chicken diaper. That's something I could go home with. There you go. Take that as a gift. We're not going to go on vacation, but we are going to buy some chickens to bring home. (laughs) She might not be happy about that. Um, But if you do, then there's little... um, the little bird booties that you need to put on the chicken's feet so they don't mm-hmm. scratch your floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, originally cat harnesses were something that I looked at and I thought, okay, this is really weird because I live in the country, so you just let your cat roam free. Mm-hmm. But apparently that's not the case in places like New York. You're not going to – you might want to take the cat for a walk. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can tell you if it's a country cat, it's not used to a harness, and it's not going to like it. I have a cat, and I can – I can tell you that for sure. It's hard to it's hard to break a cat, you know, to, it to the harness, Cause, you know, because they really don't care. They they don't, and and they don't really want to go for a walk. So uh, yeah, that one was hard. But then we've had other things come through, um, other than apparel. That one of the things that and it's a backpack, but one of the things I love about one of our clients um, recently that's doing something called Backpacks for Life is he is a vet and. He is actually making backpacks specifically for homeless vets. Mm -hmm. So there's a compartment in there that has um, a sleeping mat that folds up. It's uh, another compartment that's a toiletry compartment where they can remove it. And there's a way that you can actually um, chain this bag up so that it's not cut. That way it helps secure their items. So that Backpacks for Life is one of the ones recently that we've worked on that really stood out to me. And then we've got... We've had some clients come through that are doing yoga topper mats. Um, and with her, that one's Soul Seal. And Vicki came to the workshop. We do a workshop, and she attended that. So she's um, doing the yoga toppers. We've got tents, hammocks, um, just a wide range of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of some of the other crazy ones, but it's, it's hard to really top a chicken diaper. I, you would, know? I, would, I would concur with that. We hope you really don't have anything much more crazy <laughs> than that. Well, nothing that I can share. Good. There we go. And now you know why we brought her back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could do a whole expose on chicken diapers uh, for a, a podcast. But anyway, um, 
talk to us a little bit about the the partner companies that you work with and and the types of services that they provide. You know, if, if I'm coming to you looking for the cat harness or the chicken diaper or the alligator leash, you know what uh, what. Uh, resources or partners do you connect with? How, how does someone go about being one of your partners and, and, and give us some idea who, you know, what types of folks are your partners? Yeah, so we, the same way we screen the clients through an application process, we want to make sure we vet the companies that be- can become members. We start all the companies off as a referral, and if it's a service company, and service company being that they offer a service like pattern making, designers, cut and sew facilities, then those are typically the members. More of your material sources, like your labels, your fabrics, and your trims, those typically aren't members, um, but we use those guys as referrals. Of course, of course, you have to have those items too, but the member side, you start off as a referral, and after you've worked with us for a year or so, and it's a good fit both for us as well as you, then you can become a collaborator. So that's the first step is becoming a member is the collaborator status. Um, They pay us a very small minimal annual fee and what we do is we refer clients to them. They're kind of the the membership is that first client referral before we go to the referral companies. And through that, if after they worked with us as a collaborator for a while, if they want to become a partner, then they're actually voted in by the other partners. And the partner status, typically those companies are more local because we have several meetings a year where we sit down and we talk about issues in the industry. You know, one of the biggest ones recently that we discussed was finding skilled labor. You know, how are some of these companies finding skilled labor and not only finding it but keeping it? Um, So the partners have more say-so. Um, as far as in the district's future and how we work with things and how we work with clients and the procedures. But they're also, again, more local companies so that they can meet on a more regular basis to help improve the district and the industry. And and I think one of the things that we should be clear about is that one of your objectives and goals is to uh, help your clients uh, do their production in the United States, do domestic production. Exactly. If, if, if someone's looking to do overseas production, you're not, you're not the right person to be, your, your organization is not the right organization to be working with. Really, one of your primary objectives is to promote uh, domestic production. Correct. And most of the companies that we work with, again, we like to build relationships, not only with the companies, but the clients. And we've got clients all over the world. We've had Australia and France and just different places. But the companies that we work with are mainly along the East Coast as far as the service companies. And then we've got the fabric companies are all over the U.S. So just because we, your your organization is the Carolina Textile District, it is not limited to clients or partners that are located in North or South Carolina. Exactly. Um, we've got, again, the cut and sew facilities and designers, pattern makers we work with range all along the East Coast, and then we've got um, one even in Texas. Um, clients are pretty much from everywhere nationally. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. 
All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. You, you said that you work with some some startups that that come through the process. You know, sort of. Uh, you know, what, what sort of challenges do they face, and do they always know what they're getting into? If I if I'm a new company that say I want to make a, I got an idea for a new cool shirt. You know what? The, but but I don't know much more. How how would I work with you, and how would I engage with you? I think the biggest thing where the first step in working with the district is the application that's on our website, which is carolinatextiledistrict.com. And when they take that application, they fill that out. We've had people say, it asked me questions that I hadn't thought about. And that's a really good indication that they are very new and that there's a lot more on that front-end research part that they need to do. So That tells you there's a value exactly, just from that. Yeah. And um, so when they fill out the application, we look at it. And the main things we look at is where they're at. Are they a startup or do they already have some some of their fabrics or patterns of they already produce the product and we look at product type quantities time frames their capital you know there's a lot to consider it's not just one thing that says oh this person is ready or they're not so there's several things that go into consideration and it was funny because one of the things you were talking about in the fake news earlier was 50 percent of businesses failing and we've That wasn't all fake, Tanya. Come on. (laughs) Exactly. Um, That wasn't fake because we see, I mean, since 2013, we've had roughly 1,600 applications come through, and that's a lot. And out of those 1,600, probably 75% or more, a little more, are startups. And what we see with startups is maybe two out of 20, once they get started, actually go into production because... It, it looks so much easier from the outside, and it takes a lot more time, dedication, and money than a lot of these people realize. So a lot of them may get to the sample stage and then realize, okay, I can make a sample, but I don't have enough money to, to go into production. And then they realize that they have to, you know, stop production or, or kind of reshelf that project. So that is correct. We see that a lot. And I think with the district, the way we help is if they're a startup, we have a Song Goods workshop. And it's a two-day workshop where they come in. We teach them everything start to finish about having a product made in the U.S. So it's going to start with material sourcing and then finishing, printing, design and pattern making, pre-production, which is the stuff they need to do before they reach out to a company, the actual production process, and then tags, labels, packaging, and fulfillment. So it's it's a beginner course, and it's kind of just takes you through all that. While you're here, they do a tour of a cut-and-sew facility, so they get to see it firsthand. And we have on-hand fabric sourcing, so they actually get to go out there and fill stuff. And it's extremely beneficial, again, for startups. If it's an existing company and they're already producing a product in the U.S., they don't need the class. So in that case, we just try to connect them to a cut-and-sew facility that can produce their product for the quantities they're looking for within the time frame that they've listed. And, and I mean, it sounds like you know, if we've got folks listening that want to 
get into some sort of apparel business or, or, or create a product like that, it sounds like a very useful class. How often do you guys do those, those programs? Unfortunately, this year we've only got one more left, and it's in October. I just wrapped up this month's yesterday, um, and we do them probably, last year we did seven, this year we did four, but we just made the classes larger. And we understand people can't travel, and not everybody can, you know, get away because they've got children or whatever, their schedule. And we do do webinars. So we have the educational piece on for, for webinars where we'll do the webinar series with clients and that's extremely beneficial as well because the most important thing they need is understanding the process and understanding the time and the money the details the details yeah and understanding that is the biggest thing that we find and, and I'm assuming if somebody wants to take the class in October or or do the webinars they can find that on your website Yes, so as far as the workshops and the programs that the district offers for the connections, so we've got a qualified sourcing program. That's where we help look for people's materials, whether it's fabric, hardware. Um, And then the Find-A-Fit program is where we actually search for the service. So if we're trying to match them up to a cut-and-sew facility or a pattern maker, that's under programs. You'll find the programs and workshops page both on the website. You, you you talked about one of the challenges that your clients run into is some you know, if they're not careful they might not have enough money to for samples or they just might not understand the process or do enough planning. Yeah, you know I would think that some of the partners that you work with, probably most of the partners you work with, have minimums when they when it comes to production. Their fees for sampling are there are those the sort of challenges that. Uh, uh, entrepreneurs and startups often run into that they might not be aware of? Are there other things that are out there that they're, they might uh, uh, have issues with that they might not be thinking about when they get started? Yeah, I think in the beginning, a lot of, of people for a long time thought that manufacturing in the U.S. was dead, so that if they could find a company, they would jump at the opportunity to take on their products. And what we're finding is it's all the reshoring. These companies are booked. We've got some companies that stay booked, and and you can't get in with them. So I think the biggest challenges that the startups and entrepreneurs that haven't dealt with the industry before are finding is that you can't just call a company and they're going to call you back or respond because they are just you know ready to jump on a, a new project. That's one of the hardest things is getting your foot in the door. I think. The capital side, definitely. Um, They're not going to do your samples for free. And some people thought, well, they'll do my samples as long as I tell them I'm going to do my production with them. Or the other big one is that the company itself is going to supply the materials. And that's not always the case. There's some companies out there that are vertically integrated that kind of help people from start to finish. The majority of these companies have a specialty, and it's cut and sew, so they're not going to source your materials they're not going to supply your materials because of the minimums in most cases so clients have to understand before they start reaching out to these companies what is their responsibility and it's going to depend on each company each one's going to have different minimums it may be a 50 unit minimum it may be a 500 unit minimum and that's where the district looking at the client's needs and looking at what the different companies offer 
act as that matchmaker instead of the clients just picking up the phone and cold calling all these companies and, and hoping that somebody responds that's a fit. With, with the clients that you work with, are, are, if, if I've got an idea, you know, I, I've, I've got a full-time job, except when Gary's away, then, it, then it's not as full-time. <laughs> but but uh, if I've got a great idea but might not have as much time to put into it, you know, is there, are there services that the district provides to help uh, facilitate that or, or when it comes to purchasing materials, finding materials? Do you guys connect people with that? I mean, how, how much hand-holding do you do? Are you just a matchmaker or do you, like, uh, do more than that? It or, depends. Or, or it depends. Yeah, like you make it sound like I don't do anything. I yet. don't mean it that way. <laughs> she just sits at a computer. And <laughs> um, no, we actually, on the material sourcing side, so they, if they come to us and they say, I'm looking for a certain type of material, and I don't know where to start. So we have the Qualified Sourcing Program. It's 75 an hour, and we put a time cap of four hours. And so we will compile a list of different companies in the U.S. that offer that type of material, and then the client themselves determine based on minimums and price where they can get it. Now, if they need help designing a product, because I didn't go to school to help with that, like I'm not that artistic, um, then in that case we need to send them to a designer. So we match make, that's where that matchmaking comes in, and we send them to a designer. Well, and in, in no way was I suggesting that you're you're you know asleep at the wheel or lazy. I'm just trying to figure out how much I, you know I'm lazy. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how much I have to do and how much I can get you or other people to do. So you know if if I can if I can write checks, I'm assuming you might be able to help me find the right people to get my business off the ground. Exactly. Yes. If if and there's things that are going to come through, and we'll tell you in the beginning certain garments that we don't have members that take on that type of product we're going to tell you up front we don't have a fit for that um so we try to be pretty clear on what we can help with and what we can't depending on price points that's another one as long as people understand that um domestic pricing domestic cost is going to cost more than overseas because the cost of living and the wages here are higher um then that's one of the biggest hurdles i think with people coming to us is trying to to make sure that they understand that they're not going to get a t-shirt for four dollars that's a custom made t-shirt and you know from from a a business positioning point of view um do, do you is that is that an ongoing problem where you know, you know uh, they always people tell me they uh, they they want champagne on a beer budget uh, but <laughs> yes. uh, you know ultimately it seems like they have to position their product as uh, a better product or an added value product or uh, you know is that is that do you coach them in that direction or or they 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 recognize that and they these are folks that really just want to make it in the USA well and it's you know you've got a lot of people out there as I've heard say just kicking the tires right they've got an idea they just want an they want to figure out can they do it so when we start talking price that helps narrow it down but the biggest question i have for people that have that champagne champagne taste on a a beer budget is what's most important the quality or the cost because one of those is you can't have both you know if you're wanting high quality it's going to take longer to make the product and time equals money in manufacturing so that's kind of where we put it back on them as 
what's most important, what's your top Where they priority. Where position in the market. Exactly. Are, are there other lessons that uh, uh, you, you've learned from, from working with your partners and your clients that would be useful to, to uh, our Entrepreneur Exchange listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest part is a lot of, of the entrepreneurs, even if they've had experience in other businesses before, skip a lot of the research, that front-end part. So we always refer guys that come through, girls, guys, um, to the Small Business Center, to the SBA. We, we tell them, it's all free assistance. Take advantage of that because there's going to be things they didn't think about, maybe They've done something before, but it's not textile-related. So maybe um, the free assistants can help point out things they didn't think about or have to think about before. But I think doing the the front-end work is a real indication. A lot of times you were talking about do entrepreneurs have to work 24 hours a day. It's a lot of work. And if they're not willing to put in that front-end work, a lot of time that's an indication that they just want to hand something over to somebody and that person run it. And that's going to be more of a project manager, um, not necessarily what the district does or what a lot of the manufacturers do. They just want the client to take care of their business, send in their orders. The, the manufacturer is going to make it, but they don't want to run their business either. Well, I think it also comes back to, to one of our first myths of, you know, if, if you build it, they will come. If you, you, you really need to do that research and figure out the right price points and the right product, uh, and, and not just assume because I've got a, uh, a what I think is a new idea might not be a new idea. There might be some things out there that are that are very similar. So you have to figure out how to differentiate yourself. And I think another big thing that that startups need to realize too, when they're looking at doing that research, if you're trying to compete against a company that's currently producing overseas and you're going to produce in the U.S you're not going to be able to compete price-wise with them. So you're going to have to realize, sit down and think about what sets your product apart. And you're going to have to convey that to your customers. This is why my product costs more, but this is why it's also better. These are the things that, that make it better. And then also, if you're trying to compete against Nike and Under Armour, these guys are buying 50,000 units overseas. They're paying pennies on the dollar to where, again, you can't compete with that. So you've got to just because you have a product you think is great doesn't mean it's going to sell if you don't do everything you can to market it correctly and and get it out there. Yeah. That's, we, that's what we usually tell people. Yeah. I'm impressed. She's been listening to all those classes that she went to. <laughs> I was in one of your classes. I know. Yes, I do remember. Makes me very proud. <laughs> oh, thank you. So, so uh, we, we very much appreciate you being here today and sharing some of this information. Uh, if folks are interested in learning more about the district or maybe being potential customers for the district, how, how should they, what's the best way to connect with, with you and, and the district? If they go to the website, carolinatextiledistrict.com, and again, if they're a startup, just have them just go ahead and look at the workshops. There's a video on there um, that we just put on there I'm kind of excited about. And from there, they would fill out the application. And you can't miss it. It's a bright yellow button at the top that says apply here. And when you fill out that application, we'll look it over, see if it's something that we feel like we have a member fit for or a company in the referral database that would be a fit. And then if there's any questions, we reach out, we schedule a call or a visit, and then we go from there. Okay.
Well, www.carolinatextiledistrict.com. That's it. All right. And you don't have to be in the Carolinas. No. So. You do not. And if it's companies out there that want to join the district, you know, again, there's an email on the website. Get it made at carolinatextiledistrict.com. Just shoot us an email and we'll be happy to talk to them about becoming a possible member. Start them off as a referral. Wow. Well, it's a it's a really good resource for startups or people that are trying to develop cut and sew apparel products. So we we uh, appreciate Tanya being here, and we suggest that you guys check it out at uh, at the website there. So anyway, very good. Thank you very much. Thank you. So we always like to end our entrepreneur exchange by giving a little shout out to to small businesses that we've come across and and. Tanya, do you have a you have a small business that you want to do a shout out for today? I do, and I have to say I might be a little biased because it is the Texas Fish Camp in Hildebrand, and those guys are is that Hildebrand, Texas? No, that is Texas <laughs> Fish Camp there, in yeah. Hildebrand, North Carolina. Thank you. Yeah, they bring Jeff. in they bring in fish from Texas to North Carolina. Oh, there you go. I don't know how many people would eat that though, but. Um, so anyway, they are in Hildebrand, North Carolina, and then um, Caldwell Appliance, that's also in Hickory, North Carolina. I've got to get two. I can't just do one. I've got to give a shout-out to it's both of It's like Sophie's guys. Choice here, but go ahead. <laughs> They're both great companies, family-run businesses that, are, that, that care about the customers. All right. Well, we appreciate you sharing those and being here. Gary, what's your small business this month? Well, my business of the month is Strikeforce Beverage which has developed an energy drink, which was designed by a Navy SEAL. Of course, you know wow. why that attracted to me with my son being a Marine. Uh, the veteran-owned energy drink company offers a better alternative to the market's current energy options. Their energy drink, Strike Force Energy, meets the demands of the battlefield, but also is available to us and the general public. Each packet contains less than an ounce of fluid and can be mixed with other beverages. I'm not sure what that means, other <laughs> beverages, but you might want to try that. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll get a mailbag question about that, Karen. <laughs> there we go. I thought that might be good. And just uh, exciting to see. I, of course, I always see these things on TV or the Internet from uh, military or about dogs, and that's where my uh, small business of the month plans uh, um, and I'm excited about this one because it uh, sounds like it's something that would work well for us in the general public is folks that are doing a lot of training, different things like that. This would be the perfect people to be looking for. Well, and you and might, they, yeah, I was going to say, you might need it next week. That's, <laughs> I didn't think about that. I may go on there and see if they can send me a rush order. Okay. All right. Well, well, my small business of the month isn't that small. It's a company called Bird, which uh, does – they rent dockless motorized scooters in many cities now throughout the country. But they were, they always they, – they're not a very old company. They started in September 2017 by a fellow named Travis Vander Zanden, who's a former Uber, Uber, Uber executive in Santa Monica – and it's received a lot of press uh, because it's been reported that they're the fastest company to become a, quote, unicorn, which is a privately held company with a $1 billion valuation. But if you go to many cities across the country these days, and, and I saw that they're now in Charlotte, North Carolina, not that far from us, but they're also in uh, a few dozen cities from Indianapolis, Austin, uh, San Francisco, uh, these are, are dockless 
scooters, which they have an app that you use to unlock the scooter. You can take it. You can leave it wherever you need to leave it which is actually causing some issues with many cities that don't appreciate the fact that scooters are on their sidewalks. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're, they're becoming more and more common as we saw Uber being used to, to transport people. And now there are a lot of dockless bicycles that are out there. So now we're moving to motorized scooters. And Bird is one of those companies. They're not the only one out there, but they, they, from a valuation point of view, they're getting a lot of press. Uh, it costs a dollar to unlock the scooter, then 15 cents per minute to use the scooter. So if you're going to go 10 minutes or so uh, from one point A to point B in a city and don't want to have to deal with uh, traffic issues and want to sort of skate around it with hopefully not running into anyone, uh, Bird or other motorized scooters could be a good option for you. And uh, they actually go up to 15 miles an hour, which apparently if you get on them and go that, it's, it's somewhat exhilarating. So uh, uh, be careful. We recommend that you use a helmet. Yeah, I was going to follow back up with uh, the Segway. My brother used to work for Segway. Mm-hmm. One of their key things was the big industry or big city uh, market. And it had some challenges because it was a little bit expensive when people were buying, like if one of us was going to buy it, but maybe the fact that the public uses could be an idea. But when you just said 15 miles an hour, one of the challenges they had and the pushback they got from the cities were that it wasn't necessarily that safe. I mean, if you're in New York City and you're doing a Segway or a scooter, I could see that there could be some challenges. Well, we, we, we will keep posted on that. And hear what happens. And, well, and, and I'll also sort of uh, to add on to it, I, I, I noticed, Bird, because there was an article in uh, the Charlotte uh, newspaper this week where it's also created jobs for entrepreneurs who go around at night collecting the scooters to recharge them. And they pay people to collect them, bring them in, and recharge them. So it's almost like a scavenger hunt. You use an app, and it'll tell you where the scooter's located. It's another industry that's developed. It's sort of a, a side hustle for people that go in and, and collect the, the scooters at night. And it sounds like just a big scavenger hunt where you're trying to collect as that many as you can. Industry, just collecting them and reselling them. Well, yeah, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, but I mean the yeah the the the, the uh, electronics sound pretty good on these things. So I, I suspect you'll know where they are if someone tries to take one away. So, uh, so anyway, check out Bird. Uh, you know my my not so small business of the month, but uh, sort of a new business that's uh, a good startup story there. So. Um, if you've got a suggestion for our Entrepreneur Exchange Small Business of the Month, you can email us at eexchange at themesh.tv and send us your, your suggestions for Small Business of the Month. We want to thank Tanya Wade for joining us today. Uh, you can check out the Carolina Textile District at uh, www.carolinatextiledistrict.com. And if it's... Uh, uh, if you're starting uh, an apparel business or have a specific product, uh, it might be a great resource and tool for you to, to look into. So check out the district there. And uh, we want to thank the Mesh Podcast Network. You should uh, go to the mesh.tv and check out the entire network of podcasts out there. They've got a lot of good things going on. You can uh, check out our podcast there at the, at the TV or subscribe at the iTunes store. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next month and seeing how Gary's adventure to Louisville goes. I hope it goes very well, and I hope I'm able to come back. Well, well, we'll <laughs> no, talk. It's going to be great. We're really looking forward to it. This is the most students we've ever taken. 
So we're very proud of what our students and faculty have done. And I will give a shout out to Mr. Newville that has two state champions that are going to the national championships for high school and college entrepreneurship. So congratulations. Well, we, 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 we wish them luck and we wish you luck and hope you survive and don't have to drink too many energy Fine. drinks. I'll get credit for another vacation to Louisville. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, everyone enjoy the summer. We'll talk to you again uh, next month. Have a good one. Take care. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.